Okay, so today being the 5th of October, we get a quick proverb in uh, chapter 5, and I chose verse 21. For the Lord sees clearly what a man does, examining every path he takes. Now, oh, I forgot one other thing. Um, there's a family, one of us needs some help in the church. Their cat had kittens, and they got rid of all of them except three. And they said, ask if I could make an announcement up here, because maybe you could provide a good home to your, your cat. And I said, sure, be glad to do that. And, um, um, but they wanted, they insisted that I, they said it'd be a picture that was worth a thousand words, so they wanted me to put pictures of the kittens up for you. So there they are. Kittens are available. <laughs> Just your average cats. <laughs> okay. I like to start from a hole. I dig down into a hole and I'll preach from below ground. <laughs> okay. I have no idea why I keep doing that. It's like stupid. So there's, um, I heard this story about this, this man, this father who took his little boy, I don't know if it was McDonald's to some place, and he bought him some french fries, bought him a, you know, a box of french fries, and the little boy had the french fries, and, and the father did what fathers sometimes do. He reached over to taste one of the french fries, and the little boy reached up, grabbed that french fry, and slapped his father's hand and said, leave, that's my french fry. I'll continue that story later. Today, um, um, we're in a series about, um, through, actually through the book of Proverbs. I've, uh, I've been studying the book of Proverbs. You know I love the book of Proverbs, so we're going to read a lot of Proverbs today. And uh, it's, it's been uh, um, a series about the successful family, things a successful family does. And um, it's, it's, it's easy to see that theme all through the book of Proverbs. And today, we're going to be in there talking about how the successful, how the wise family manages their money. And you might say, well, I don't know, Terry, what's the book of Proverbs, you know, what does success in a family have to do with money? A lot. And we're going to see that today. Now, if you're visiting today, and you're, or you're a guest with someone, and you're, and you're the person who brought the someone, and you're going, oh, great, I finally get a friend to come, and today's the day Terry decides to talk about money. Sorry about that. Um, I'm just going to spend a little bit of time. I'm, I'm actually going to talk about it way less than Jesus did, and um, it's not going to be scary. You could, you could even sit with your hand on your wallet the whole time. It's going to be okay. I'm not coming after your wallet. I'm just going to see what the Word says about how a family manages their money, and um, you can come along with me. Jesus did talk a lot about money. In fact, if you look at the things that he said, you can see that he talked more about money than he did about heaven more than he did about hell. In fact, he talked about money more than he did about heaven plus hell combined. He talked about money more than any other topic except one, which is the kingdom of God. And uh, he told 39 parables, 11 of them. 11 of them were about money. And so we're going to see as we go through the book of Proverbs that the wise family does manage their money, but I think we should start by praying. So would you just agree with me and let's, let's pray. Lord, I, I just am so grateful for the forgiveness of sins. I just am I'm so grateful to start off with the hope for eternal life, for the amazing things that you have in store for your children. Now, Lord, your word is so incredibly practical. I want to thank you, Lord, that you don't leave us alone um, to struggle through things. You, you give us your word. And I, I'm thankful, God, that you, that you told us that you came, that we might have life and actually have it more abundantly. So give us wisdom, Lord, be light to us, speak specifically to us, Lord, especially on the topic for today about how we manage our resources in ways that honor you. In Jesus' name, 
So if you read all through Proverbs and you were going to try and summarize something, I think you could, but you know, it's, it's a lot to take in. And um, um, when you take a look to see what King Solomon, the wisest guy who ever lived, actually said about money, I'm going to try and summarize it in a sentence. And then we'll see if, see, but it's a lot to do. He said this about money. Gain it honestly. Esteem it accurately. Share it generously. Or it will destroy you and your family. Now, that's, that's wow, what a huge statement, Pastor Terry. Really, come on. Every, you show up every Sunday and it's this big, huge thing. You're making a big deal out of this thing. Come on, is it really that big a deal? Is it really? You're just being a little bit over the top. You know, I know some of you are going, you're wanting to go like this, but you don't want me to see your nod your head. Just go ahead. Get it out of your system. Okay. All right. I don't think I'm being overly dramatic. I, I really don't. I mean, if you, if you follow the Lord and the things that are printed in red in, in a lot of Bibles, you know, he taught that money is more than just important, that it's serious and, and it can be critical. Now, I realize that life is not money. Okay. I mean, but... The way that we handle it has the power to make us or break us, and um, depending on how we handle it, it has, it, it has the power to really destroy our lives, if, if, depending on how we handle it. So if you're not so sure, I'm just going to kind of give you a few um, cultural um, examples that you might think about. Here, how about if I mention to you Washington Mutual? I remember when the TV commercials called Washington Mutual the friend of the family, and I think it was just a, you know, it was a savings and loan. In fact, it grew to be the largest savings and loan in, uh, in America, and in 2008, there was a 10-day, it was a bank run, where people went to them and said, give me back my money, and in 10 days, over $16 billion was withdrawn, to the point where the, tr- the, 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 the bank was no longer stable, and so it was purchased by someone else. Now, that was maybe the result of other things that were going on in the, in the, mar- in the market as well, but some really, really um, unwise, maybe, investments that the bank had made. Ten days, $16 billion. Enron, you might remember Enron. In 2001, there was um, a big, huge case with executive fraud, and a lot of executives went to jail for fraud. No wonder their logo is a crooked E. Um, <laughs> uh, or maybe the names <laughs> Lehman Brothers. In 2008... Um, huge meltdown of an investment firm, a lot of bad investments, and, and it really triggered, in some ways, a huge global financial meltdown. And if you have retirement accounts, God praise God for that, and, and if you were invested in retirements, you'd been saving. If you're, if you're a typical person who, was, who had any retirement savings, you experienced losses. And I know people who experienced huge losses, because that whole Lehman Brothers. The name Charles Ponzi might come to name. It's the guy who first, uh, you know, for whom the pyramid scheme is, is um, named after. And um, there are schemes to, as long as you get new people shoveling money in the bottom of the pyramid, the people at the top shovel it off, but it can't be sustained forever, and then it collapses. And it's just really um, dishonest. And so the, the latest big Ponzi scheme that you've heard about was a guy named Bernie Madoff went, went to jail. And it was easy for me to remember his name because Bernie made off with our money, right? You know, Bernie. <laughs> anyway, so if you still don't think money can destroy you, um, okay, uh, I'll give you a few more words. Drugs, prostitution, lotteries, gambling. I mean, all kinds of ways to um, get into trouble because of the pursuit of money. 
If you're not sure that money can destroy you, I'm just telling, I'm going to tell you, it's destroying people's lives every single day. It really, really, it, it does. Can money really destroy people? Well, I think we should explore and see what scriptures say. We'll start in Proverbs 22, verse 7, and we're just going to go through a lot of Proverbs today. This one says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Now, mind you, there is not a place in scripture where God says, do not borrow money. You know, it's not a sin to borrow money. It's just a decision people make. And I have a loan on my house. I think most people who have a home are paying house payments, and so that's just an approach to doing it. It's not evil. But just here's what Scripture says about that. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. So we become, when we become in debt to a person or a banker or a credit card, there are in ways where we become, we become slaves to the lender. And, and, and um, when we spend beyond our means, that becomes a little more, more obvious to us. Borrowing can lead to bondage. In fact, borrowing in its simplest form does create a bondage relationship at some level. Now, God's not saying that that's wrong. He's just saying that it's true. And in our culture, there are a lot of people that are in financial bondage. Consumer debt. Consumer debt is a big fancy word or phrase that, is, that, that is, is, describes buying things that do not become more valuable, buying things that don't appreciate. So, you know, going out for dinner, putting that on your credit card, that's consumer debt. Credit cards, student loans, that new dress and shoes, or for you guys, your new camel gear for duck season that's coming up, right? You know, um, that you put that on your credit card, you don't have the cash for it. Consumer debt in our country right now is $3.2 trillion. That is such a huge number, I don't even want to try to imagine what that is. I mean, it's just a, just a gigantic number. And about $900 billion of that is credit card debt. So let me boil it down to a more manageable numbers. The average household in America has a little over $7,000 in credit card debt. Now, 40-some percent of American families don't have credit card debt. So if you boil that average down to the people who actually have credit card debt, what's the average amount that they're in debt? It's over $15,000 from credit cards. That's the average in America. Today, auto debt, people have taken loans out for cars, is the highest that it has ever been in history in the United States. There used to be, you know, a long time ago, two groups of people, you know, the the haves and the have-nots. And today there's a third group. There's the haves and have not paid for what they've got. <laughs> so I want to um, maybe take a more serious look at this, and this is maybe um, these statistics uh, just to kind of follow along with me, and you'll 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 catch you'll catch where I'm going with this. As we take a look in our country at divorce and try to figure out what happened, fifty-six percent of you know as, as these have been studied, people who have been divorced, fifty-six percent say that the number one reason that their marriage unraveled was because of financial stresses and pressures. The, the m- main reason for divorce uh, uh, is, a f- is, is problems with finances. Now, let's look at another thing. The number one cause in our country of behavioral disorders in children? Divorce. Children that are messed up, they're, they're mixed up in life. The leading cause of behavioral disorders in children is, is divorce. The number one cause of violent crime in America, rape, 
murder, armed robberies, number one cause, behavioral disorders from childhood. So now there's a trail. There's a, there's a trail there. Not a trail. A trail. A tra- <laughs> How do you say that in the South? Trail? Trail, trail, oh, it's a trail, y'all. Okay, so, um, so there's, there's a train here, a trail of something that you can see. And, and if you track with me, you can see this. Violent crime, the primary cause, behavioral disorders in children, and the primary cause is, is divorce. And the primary cause of divorce, financial stress. Do you see the thread? I, I, I don't think I make a too big a deal out of this. It really, really needs to be taken seriously. Gain it honestly, esteem it accurately, share it generously, or it'll destroy you and your family. Now, there's lots of scriptures today, so we're going to not spend too much time on any one and see where this takes us. Proverbs 15.6 says this, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure. This word for treasure, by the way, means well-supplied. It doesn't mean only money. Uh, means relationships of love and and so forth. So, it may, but, but it could it could be read to mean their needs are met in every way, not just financial. But trouble befalls the income of the wicked, and so apparently one of the distinguishing characteristics of, of a righteous household or a wicked household is the way that they manage their finances. Let's read that again. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. So money's flowing into my home somehow, and if my home is a righteous home, it will lead, lead to my needs being met. And if my home is not righteous, trouble befalls the income of the wicked. You know, God expects us to handle the resources that he entrusts to us, and there are repeating themes that we'll see in Scripture that where you can see him telling people to share their money, to, to save their money, and to, to be good stewards. It shows up over and over and over. And so in, when we receive income, what does God expect? He expects us to share it, to save it, and to steward it for him, for his glory. And the concern is, if we don't, there's a destructive ability of that. So we say to ourselves, well, I, I don't want money to be my master. I, I don't want that. That's a good thing, because Jesus said, you know, and you can see this in Matthew 6 or Luke 6, Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You just can't do it. You can't serve both God and money. You'll serve one or the other, but not both. I don't want money to be my, my master. Well, is it? I don't know. Here, well, here's a quiz. I'll, here's a quick quiz we can ask ourselves and, and, and maybe help us a little bit. Money might be your master if, and here's a few qualifiers. Do you spend more than 30% of your monthly income on debt? Now, the 30% number is something that economists... Um, come up with, and they say, and I, you know, I don't think that that's hard and fast number. Precious little one. <laughs> um, I, you know, but 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 if more than thirty percent is already committed before you even get your paycheck, that's telling you to watch out. It's telling you something. Second one, you might it, m- it might be your master if you use savings for your daily expenses. If you're thinking, well, we're a little tight, and um, I don't know how I'm going to pay the water bill. Now I know sometimes we go through hard times. And, you know, and, and hey, that's what the savings were for. That's why you saved, right? You saved for the rainy day. It's raining. I, I get that. It's not wrong to, to dip into savings when, you, you know, job change or something's going on, and that's why you saved. But if you have a regular job, and you're in your regular routine, and you have to dip into savings to pay your regular monthly bills, money might be your master. It just might be. Third way. 
Money might be your master if you're using a cash advance on your credit card to pay your bills at times that you're not actually in trouble, okay? So, I mean, you know, well, we made a couple of decisions to buy some things. We buy this and buy that, and we, now we realize we really can't afford it, so I had to get some cash on my Visa card to keep the collectors away. Now, those, that could be a sign. That, those could be unwise decisions. You might be overspending. Money might be your master. Another one is you, you, money might be your master if you don't know how much debt you have. Okay, so don't nudge anybody in the elbow. Don't, do any, don't look left or right. Just think to yourself, can, do you know how much debt you have? Can you calculate it? Do you know in your mind? I know some of us are thinking, you know, come on, Terry, I don't want to think about that. I, 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 I keep it. I, I don't want to think about that. It's kind of hard. I don't, I don't really want to think about that. Just get through the day. If you keep your debts, the amount of your debts in this, you know, this fuzzyville, that might be a sign that money is your master. Another one is this, and this is probably the most important one that I want to point out. Money might be your master if you have conflict in your home about money. What do you spend it on? We don't agree. We get a little extra money, and she wants this, and I want that, and we get into arguments about it. There's tension in the home, and it's causing conflict. Money might be your master if those things are true. So can money destroy? I really believe it can. I really believe it can. So the first point for today is um, let's gain it honestly. Now, and by honestly, we mean two things, not just speaking the truth, but also living the truth. Because we live in a society where there is immense temptation about deception. You know, politicians lie. Did you not know that? Um, CEOs of large corporations lie. And the average American doesn't really think it's that big a deal. You know, in fact, lying to get ahead in some places of our culture is actually considered admirable. That's terrible. And then God's word steps up and says, you know, if if it's done dishonestly, it's only going to lead to heartache. Gain it honestly. You know, so translate that. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be doing a deal with a client or I'm trying to sell something to someone. To do it honestly means you are fully disclosing. You tell that client the way it really, really is. You be honest. And you say, well, my boss won't let me do that. Well, maybe you need a different job or a different boss. You may, take, you may have to take a really difficult stand to obey God's word, gain it honestly. Proverbs 13, 11 says this, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Hastily. The word is literally breath. Um, it's translated in Ecclesiastes as vanity, and in other places as fraud, fraudulently. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. You know, this is talking about get-rich-quick schemes, cutting corners, doing things that don't really reflect integrity, the word says that money is going to slip through your fingers. And God says, ultimately, you're not going to have those things. You're not going to have those things that you've gained dishonestly. Now, um, it's not dishonest to win the lottery. I mean, but it is a get-rich-quick. It's cutting the corners. And, and there's been a lot written about lottery winners, um, a couple of books. And I've got a couple of little excerpts I want to read to you. Um, I'll, I'll just do that. It's not everything it's cracked up to be, says Evelyn Adams, who won the New Jersey lottery, not just once, but twice. $5.4 million. I think everybody else should get a turn before anybody gets double turned. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Not really. Forget that I said that. Today, 
I'll go on. Today the money is all, all gone. And Adam said, now here's a quote, it was a very hard fall. Everyone wanted my money. Everyone wanted a handout. I never learned one simple word in the English language. No. I'd be much smarter about it now. I was a big-time gambler, she admits. I'm going to catch this. I made big mistakes. Some I regret. <laughs> Some? Okay, whatever. Um, another guy, William Bud Post. He won $16.2 million in the uh, Pennsylvania lottery. Now lives on Social Security. I wish it never happened. It was totally a nightmare. Post's former girlfriend successfully sued him for a share of the winnings. His brother was arrested for hiring a hitman to kill both him and his wife, thinking that he would <laughs> inherit the money. It's not funny, Terry. I don't know. It just seems like it's crazy. Um, other siblings pestered him until he agreed to invest in a car business and in a restaurant, both of which went bankrupt. He even spent time in jail for firing a gun over the head of a bill collector. Within a year, he was $1 million in debt. He won 16.2. Okay. Now he lives on $450 a month in food stamps. And he says, I'm tired. That's terrible. Easy come, easy go. Everybody knows that. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. And the reason that's true, that's, you know, as you gather little by little through hard work and wise investment, with it comes the, we- the wisdom to handle the money. But what if I never get there, Terry? It's just taking too long. I don't know if I'm ever going to meet my financial goals. Proverbs 28.6, better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Better. Everybody say Better. Good. Wow. Proverbs 22.1. I've got a couple of quick ones I won't put up. Um, 22.1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches with dishonesty. Because that good name brings joy and happiness and contentment. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after his... That's, that's telling us that our children reap the result of the way we handle our money. Money. Gain it honestly. Number two. Esteem it accurately. Proverbs 18.11, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. Now, this ancient culture was an agricultural, um, agricultural society, and most people lived on little farms or maybe in a little village. And uh, when the armies came marching through, they had nowhere to hide. They were very, very vulnerable. So w- the very few walled cities... Living in a walled city is a huge advantage and a huge protection because they're so vulnerable. Proverbs 18.11 says that to a rich man, his strong city is his money. Well, I may not have my health, but I got my money. I may not have my wife, but I got my money. I may not have my family, but I got my money. Notice the text is saying, but... In his imagine, like in his imagination. He's not thinking right. He thinks this is money is going to protect him, but it's not going to protect him. You have to esteem the money accurately. Sometimes we let our imaginations go off on us, you know. I'll be happy if I have this. I, I'll be better when I acquire this thing. Uh, uh, I, you know, my life will improve if I, and then is some thing that we want. That's just not true. It's just not right. Esteem it accurately. 
Proverbs 11.4, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. This day of wrath is referencing a specific day that's off in the future where when people will stand and give an account to the king. Did you know that there is an actual day where that will happen? And, uh, um, you know, you might think, well, I don't know. I don't think I'll go. Yeah, you're going to (laughs) go. You know? Um, And, but righteousness delivers. It's not your money. And, uh, by the way, your righteousness isn't going to deliver you. The only righteousness that will deliver you is the righteousness of Christ. That's why opening your heart to the king is everything. You won't get saved because you give money to somebody in need. You won't get saved. I don't care how much money you give to the church. I mean, I care about that, but I mean, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you do. That's not going to save you. Relationship with Christ, but righteousness delivers. If you're not sure why you need to open your heart to the king, there's another scripture that tells you the day of wrath is coming. The day will come where every person faces the king and they give an account. And it's not going to even be a close measurement. It's kind of an all or nothing deal. Because I heard a little girl stand up here this morning and, and, and share scriptures. But all have sinned and fall short of the glory. Every person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But righteousness will deliver. The righteousness of Christ. One more on esteeming it accurately. Uh, 28, 22. A stingy man is eager to get rich and does not know that poverty will come upon him. If you're hoarding money, if you're eager to get it, if it's your major life goal, if when money stops becoming a tool and starts becoming the goal in itself, that's when it'll start to slip through your fingers. Now, having said all that, I want to say having money is not wrong. Okay? That's the part you all wanted to hear, right? It's okay if I have some money? Yeah, of course you can. Um, seeking, you know, to provide for your family and to be a, a wise manager of what the Lord resources you. That's not wrong. But when we inappropriately esteem the money, that causes us to desire things wrongly. So, okay. Earn it honestly, esteem it accurately, and our last point is share it generously or it'll destroy you and your family. Share it generously. I believe this is the decision that breaks bondage to finance. It's the willingness to give it away that is the only thing that breaks the back of addiction to money. Proverbs 22.9. I I never really understood this until until I was at a garage sale. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. The idea here is a generous eye. It's an eye who sees and and is generous, will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. As you move through your life and you get a letter in the mailbox from some young person who's going on a mission trip somewhere and they're saying, I can go, I've got all this vision, I'm going to go on a mission trip. Could you help me? Could you write a check for 25 or 50 or 500 or something? And, And if you look at that and go, oh, I hate it when I get these things, that's not the bountiful eye, okay? But if you think if you think it said, oh, you know, I wasn't planning for this, but God is stirring this young person's heart. I know mission trips will make a, li- a lifetime change for them. I need to give, and I need to give generously. That is a bountiful lie. But I was at a garage sale. Now, um, I miss my dad, and I, I mention him every time. I, I tell you that. He's been gone a while. And uh, my father was always a generous man, and uh, my family was, um, in the second half of my, let's say from teenage years on, we were 
comfortable financially. Uh, before that, we were, we were probably pretty uncomfortable. And my father worked hard, and the Lord blessed. And, um, so, but he always had been a generous guy. And um, he was at a place where I know his needs were being met financially. Money wasn't really a challenge for him, and he was being very generous. I think that's why. And one day I'm at his house, and he's having this garage sale, and he's selling stuff left and right, and it's just stuff. And, um, you know, I'm just hanging with him, and I can see he's got a pile of money. I mean, it was a lot. It wasn't $40. It was a lot of money. I said, what are you doing with all this money? He says, oh, I'm all excited. I'm going to give it to the church. Now, I'm thinking, wow, money to go buy a boat or something. I mean, you got some money here, do something with it. I just, I hadn't even thought about where he was going. But here's the thing. I saw something twinkle in his eyes when he said that. Now, I'm not telling you that because it's self-serving. I'm a pastor, and I'm trying to get you to give money to the church. I'm just telling you what I watched my father do. And I saw it twinkle in his eyes. A bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. And I saw it that day. Uh, Proverbs 28, 27. He who gives to the poor will not lack. What a promise. God sees what we do. But he who hides his eyes, turns, his, turns away and hardens his heart from people in need will have many curses. Here's another one. And now I think this is one of the most amazing scriptures in the whole Bible, okay? This one has really got my attention. Catch this. If you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. God says that when we're generous to the needy, that goes on God's account. He put that on my bill, Terry. Who are we giving to when we give to the needy? To God. Who are we giving to when we give to the needy? When you give your tithes and your offerings, you're not giving to the church, you're giving to God. I mean, if you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. Remember that first scripture, that earlier scripture? The borrower is subject or the servant to the lender. Jesus is saying, you're lending to me, and I want you to lend to me when you do this. There is something to explore there theologically. I don't know what that means, but Jesus is really willing to be on the tab to us because we're helping somebody. There's something amazing going on there. I'm getting goosebumps when I think about that. And it goes on, he says, and he will repay you. And he will repay you. I mean, uh, that's amazing scripture. Is that, is that true? Does God see what we do? And will he repay us? Yes. Is it true? I mean, I mean, yeah. But here's the problem. And I've, I, I've mentioned this topic before. And one time I had a person come to me afterwards and say, hey, Pastor Terry, that's all true. But you have to tell people, God isn't going to do that immediately. Right? It's true. I mean, this is not... This, I, 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 she was right. I need to make that clear. Um, I don't want to leave you the impression that this is some sort of a by-the-end-of-the-month deal. You know, <laughs> Hey, honey, we're a little bit short. Could you go find some poor people and give them something? I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean and now, now listen, we can chuckle about that, but there are a lot of people who actually teach that mentality. And I don't believe that's what Scripture's teaching, and so I want to be careful that this is not a formula. It's a principle. And um, God will always honor it. The way that God gives back to us, in fact, um, is not necessarily financially. And financially isn't necessarily even the best way. He might give back to you good health. He might give back to you an outstanding, loving marriage. He might give to you a quiver full of children who bless your socks off. He might give you fruitfulness in your life and in your ministry. He might even give you contentment and joy with less stuff. That's good too. And he may multiply your resources. 
There are lots of ways that you can give back, and money isn't even the best one. And, you know, sometimes the fact that I hear this, you know, and we can become focused on, well, you can't outgive God. He's going to give it back to me. God's going to give it back to me. Okay, those things are true, but if overemphasized, they might, they might be a little bit of a sign of a little bit of idolatry going on somewhere down in our souls. So be careful about that. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he'll repay him for his deed. Proverbs 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. You know, so, Pastor Terry, does that mean that we bring the first bushel of apples off the tree to the church? In their agricultural society, that's exactly what it meant. It meant bring your first, the very best of your crop, give it to the Lord. You know, today we live in a monetary culture where everything is monetized and we get paychecks. And what this scripture could be read to say is, bring the first portion of your paycheck or your income check. And this is a reinforcement of the biblical principle of tithing. You're going to see it all through the word. You know, the, 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 that, the, the concept of tithing is that of my income, the very first 10%, before it goes anywhere else, that first 10% belongs to God. Not what's left over, but the first fruits. And I've heard people say, well, yeah, 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 but that's the law. No, I mean... That's not the law, as if somehow the law has been somehow canceled. That Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, by the way, but it's not the law. Hundreds of years before the law was ever given, Abraham was bringing tithes to Melchizedek. It's an eternal principle. Okay, so, so what are we supposed to do with that 10%? God's going to tell us, so we'll get to that a little later. But notice the promise that continues in this verse. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's just a picture of abundance. God will give back abundantly. Now, there are scriptures that tell us we are not to put God to the test. You see it in Deuteronomy 6 and then Jesus quotes that Deuteronomy passage. You can see that in Luke 4. But you're allowed to test God. In one area. Did you know scripture does that? Well, if, are we supposed to test God, Terry, or are we not supposed to test God? Well, you test God in the areas that he says it's okay to test him. Okay, so that's, that's the fine print. And he says this. He says, test me in this now and see. Verse Mal- uh, in Malachi verse three, or chapter 3, verses t- 10 and 11. Bring the full amount of your tithes to the temple. Now, here's the condition. Full amount of the tithe to the temple. By the way, this is the temple. If this is your church... Your temple is not a TV evangelist. It's not a mission field somewhere. It's not needy people downtown. Those are offerings, and they're good, and the king encourages that. But if you want to follow what the Lord calls tithing, it's to bring the 10% to the temple. The word temple there, it can actually be literally translated house of repair. It's the place where you fellowship. It's the place where you worship. Bring that to the temple so that there will be plenty of food there. The point is not so that we can have lots of cookies, although that's some of what we do with it, Um, but it's so that this place can be equipped to spread the gospel more. Now, by the way, I just want to say this right now. It'd be real easy for you to sit back and say, well, you know, I know this is the word of God, Terry, but this is really self-serving for you to preach this. And I I unapologetically preach. This is the word of God, and this is important for, for you to hear, not because the church's income will go up, but because your life will change. That is the big deal here. I want to say about this church too, right now, we live within our means, our bills are paid, 
The way the money is spent here is carefully overseen by a church council. And um, like, for example, our project out there, we, um, in the last, say, maybe, we, we, we tore out this inside wall that was like last October. It seems like a long time ago, right? But we, we did this whole interior remodel and added onto the building. We've paid cash. And we are at the point now where we're saving up some more cash because we are spending less cash than our church income. So we're able to save some and then use it to do the, the expansions that we, we want to. Now, that doesn't prevent us from saying, hey, we're going to receive a special offering because I think that's appropriate too. But my point is that, 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 that this is a place where you can trust where the finances are being handled properly. And the last time I talked about this was over a year ago. I'm not preaching this because we need your money. We do. Every ministry does. But we're in, we're in good shape financially. I'm preaching this because it's the word of God. Okay, so um, put me to the test and you will see that I will open the windows of heaven and pour out on you in abundance all kinds of good things. Verse 11, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And I want you to know that, that up and down these rows, there are people in this room who have tested the Lord and seen that he is good. This, this room is full of people that do that. And I want to say to you, if this is a huge stretch for you, I just want to commend you to step out in faith, test God, and put him first in your finances. Now, one more verse and we're done. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25 there is one who scatters, yet increases more. That's odd. Scatters. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will also be watered himself. Your tithe is like seeds of your faith. As you trust God and as you t- give your tithe to him, You're planting seeds of faith. There is one who scatters. Don't be like a farmer who instead of planting his seeds, eats his seeds, consumes the seeds that are supposed to be sown in faith. Because what would happen if a farmer eats the seeds? When spring comes, there's no crop. There's no harvest. There's no blessing. There's no bounty. There's just dead soil just barrenness you know some of us might ask you know why is it so tough why why are we struggling financially every month could this be it I mean could it be that maybe you're not putting God first could it be that that you really believe that 100% of your income will go further than 90% in combination with God's blessings you know, I'd rather be on the 90% with God track than on the 100% partnered with the devourer track where God promises to rebuke the devourer. I really believe things happen. You don't get cavities maybe as much or maybe, maybe your transmission doesn't fall out on the freeway. I mean, I don't know. I'm not suggesting to you that if you don't tithe, God will do those things to you. But there is a devourer that God says he'll rebuke him and the devourer is there to eat your crop. So the father does what every 
father does, he reaches across to try some of the french fries that he provided for the little boy. And the little boy slaps him on the hand and says, keep your hands off my fries. <laughs> my father's thinking, what you'd be thinking, that's a little bit selfish. You don't really realize that I gave you all your fries, all of your fries, your milk, tomorrow's cookies, the bananas, all of it comes from me. God has given to you and me everything we have, including our money, our talents, our abilities to serve. And um, when he asks us to tithe, sometimes figuratively, figuratively we say, that's my money, God. Thanks. <laughs> I got this. But the successful family manages their money. One who scatters it increases all the more than there's one who withholds, but results only in poverty. Earn it on, honestly, esteem it accurately, share it generously, or it will destroy you and your family. Let's pray. God, um, this message kind of is a hard one sometimes. It's Sometimes it's too practical, Lord. It almost sounds like a formula, but the truth is, God, that there is something of truth here that because although you, you don't need or want our money, you, you need and want our faith, but even more, you need us to know we can lean into you. And so you take us to the place that maybe sometimes is the last stronghold where we won't trust you. How silly it is, God, when we start to believe that we're better off with 100% left to fight the devourer on our own instead of trusting you, who you say you'd be, who you promised to be, who you've demonstrated you are, your faithful God. I want to pray for people here who this morning, maybe they're just going through a really, really difficult season. Maybe there are just shortages. And, and I suppose it's possible for some they're in this season that maybe it's a trial that, that you're going to use now to grow their faith. I pray, God, that the outcome is going to be greater trust in you. I pray, God, that you let faith grow um, as people obey and follow and trust you. I want to pray for the, 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 the real, real challenging, just all kinds of examples. I, I can't name them all, but like, for example, being a single parent, God, that's just got to be struggling, difficult, God, would you open the windows of heaven and provide, I pray. And Lord, for us as a church family, I pray that you would, you would help, you would use this church to make a difference. We already give away a lot more than 10% of the money that comes here. We give it away to other churches and to ministries and to food and we do things like that. And God, I know as we're heading now into the time of year where we do things like shoe boxes and uh, we give away food baskets and, and those kinds of things. God, I pray that, the, that a bountiful eye will well up within this place and that, Lord, you will do the things because as we give to the needy, it's like loaning to you and we're happy. We're happy to do that, God. Now, Lord, last thing I want to say is I want to just show my gratitude for your matchless, matchless love. Thank you, Lord, for taking me, a failed human being, and loving me the way you do.